Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. And I'm back home in the DMV. Got back today on Thursday after being in Indianapolis since Sunday there for the NFL Combine. But of course, as we know, the Washington Commanders were in the news plenty this week. We're going to get to a bunch of those topics. We'll also talk about draft prospects and Sam Howell with our guest, Andy Staples, one of our uh, go-to college football writers, insiders, thinkers for The Athletic. Andy and I talked today uh, about a whole bunch of topics, including Sam Howell, how the new offense, a uh, new quarterback coach, Tavita Pritchard, could help Sam Howell out. The quarterback class, uh, cornerbacks, Osiris Torrance, the guard out of Florida. That's Andy Staples' alma mater. So I got his view on that. Fun conversation. We will get to that in a moment. In addition, I'll kind of go through my notebook here a bit, give you a sense of the scene, uh, a little bit more on Sam Howell. Obviously, there was a, a survey that made a lot of noise from the NFLPA, a survey of players about what they think of their respective teams in a bunch of different categories. And the commanders came in last in that. We'll talk about that and uh, some other fun wrinkles, including uh, some Duran Payne thoughts as well. Uh, of course, if you missed it, the earlier this week, I had a fun podcast with from Indianapolis, our guy J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington. We discussed what Ron Rivera had to say both at his podium session on Tuesday, but also at a side session with the local reporters. And Kevin Sheehan from Team 980 joined me to talk about all the various Dan Snyder news that was coming out earlier in the week. Uh, so make sure to check that out as well. And of course, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting so you don't miss any of the action. And, of course, check out The Athletic if you haven't already subscribed. encourage you to do that. I will have a story up on Friday. I'm, I think we're calling it like a Sam Howell and Washington's quarterback plan explainer because there's been a lot of confusion, it appears, uh, over what's going on. So we'll get to all that in a second. But I do want to start with, as I said, some of the notes from Indianapolis. Um Let's just start with the scene. You know, if you're into the draft or if you heard, you know, if you're intrigued by the combine, you've heard some of the stories. It is really kind of a wacky scene there. The the gist of it is the NFL uh, uses this you know, huge hall inside the sprawling Indiana Convention Center and attached to. The convention center are a bunch of hotels, uh, including a, a JW Marriott. And then there's also these walkways that allows you to walk from one, you know, not, you know, from the hotels to the convention center and even a few block going further into downtown Indianapolis. And when you do this, it is almost hard to go 50 feet, 100 feet, you know end of a hallway without running into somebody, maybe you don't know them, but somebody you would see. And then the 
within the hotel, there's uh, a a bar right off of the, the main lobby of the JW Marriott. There's a sports bar in there as well. Those are just a couple of the of the main places that people gather at night. You know, again, we're talking. Um, I did like I haven't I didn't see him this year, but Jerry Jones has been I've seen him out and about uh, before. Jay Gruden, of course, used to be out when he was the head coach here. But who did I see that was of note this week? Roger Goodell, NFL commissioner. He was there uh, speaking, I think, at a couple different functions. And he walked into the sports bar that was right off of the lobby. Um, The funny part to me was he walks in, turns right, and within five feet of him at that point is Dan Snyder's spokesperson. Um, this was literally the day after, I want to say, the ESPN report came out involving this $55 million secret loan that Dan Snyder took out with Bank of America, that Roger Goodell, um, the, there was, uh, for Dan Snyder's former partners, you know, had issue with this uh, secret loan. Roger Goodell got involved, helped get the loan done. Anyway, just to see that was 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 interesting. Uh, Sean Payton was there. Now, of course, a lot of uh, certainly almost all the general managers were there, and several coaches were there as well to do a podium session uh, with um, with reporters, but also to you know talk to talk to prospects or others. But anyway, there's Sean Payton walking around, and of course, I'm sure most people think of Sean Payton as the new head coach of the Denver Broncos. I think of Sean Payton as the guy who said that some mystery bidders on the commanders reached out to him to speak about his him possibly joining them. So that was interesting just to see him from that perspective. Uh, D'Angelo Hall, of course, was there. Uh, he is a new scout for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, so that was good to catch up with him. And then, of course, you know, Doug Williams was there. Eric Bieniemy, of course. Jack Del Rio uh, saw them. Uh, out and about. I mean, they were, of course, doing what the, the, their, their work and checking on prospects and for agents. But nonetheless, you know, people were people. So they were out and about. And um, it was an interesting week because usually the way this works, just like whenever any of us think about an NFL team, we always start with the offense, right? And then the defense, right? When they do introductions on television for a game, it always starts with the offense first and the defense. And the NFL Combine schedule ran the same way, meaning prospects go to, uh, by position, they have designated days and times to go to a podium to talk to the local reporters. And then they will, in between, you know, after that, they will have workout, uh, they, they will uh, interview with teams, they will eventually, as you know, watching television, they'll go run the 40 and do some other uh, extra, you know, activities uh, in front of the NFL world. But this year they switched up and put the defense first. And I think that was interesting because it felt like, the first, it, it felt quieter the first couple of days there. It really though picked up, I would say on Wednesday. And I think that's because not only was it the offense was going second, but also I think they pushed back when the actual workouts began because they began today. Uh, you know, you probably have seen some of the defensive linemen running some preposterous times. So it, it's always an interesting time. Like I said, you can't go 
more than like, you know, five, 10, 20 feet in almost any direction at, at points without seeing somebody that you recognize. Um, and obviously, if you're around the industry for a while, like I've now been at this point, you know, you, 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 people you've met over time, other reporters, um, agents, or people you want to, you know, hey, I, you know, uh, so-and-so, appreciate what you do. Um, by the way, I should have also mentioned that where the players uh, in this big hall that I mentioned that the NFL uses, um, where the players have their podium, it's also, there's a television row. So there were sets for NFL Network, um, NBC, like, you know, where Mike Florio and Chris Sims uh, would do would do their thing. Uh, ESPN, CBS Sports, everybody had a setup and you would see all those people that you're familiar with, Ian Rappaport, Mike Garofolo, and so on. Then there was a radio, well, actually Andy called it a radio grid, we'll get to that in a minute, but then you would, that's where, you know, a lot of the, the, the podcasts and radio shows would be, J.P. Finley did his uh, show there, uh, the Team 980 had a table as well, so um, it's just a lot of people, it's really interesting to be around it. Um, but that's just the scene. The question then is, well, what else is happening there? What's the, what, what, what are we learning? What are we, what are we thinking? What are we getting out of, about any of this? Um, and since I'm talking to you on Thursday, this will still go on through the weekend. I, I would say that like we'll, it, it, we'll get a fuller scope of everything after a few more days. The, the players will of course be going through the workouts. The big story of, uh, was of course. Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter, who was in play to be the number one pick in the draft, um, he got he got booked by police because of an incident, uh, I believe, after Georgia won the national championship, in which a teammate and a coach were uh, died in a car accident. Apparently, Carter was. You, you can find more details about this online, but Carter. Apparently, it's told police he was not there. Now he's being charged because apparently there was a sense that there may have been some sort of street racing happening, and we'll have to see where this goes. I don't know enough details, and you know, I think it's an unfolding situation. Carter left to get booked. Then he came back, and obviously, look, people died, so I'm not minimizing any of that. But in the context of the draft, you know, <clears throat> it is notable because – what does this mean for for Carter? I, I don't I have no idea at this point. And I don't suspect not too many people do. But should he fall in the draft, it presents an interesting situation because the previous scenario was that the Chicago Bears will hold the number one pick, but also have Justin Fields already as a young quarterback, um, that the Bears would trade the number one pick because uh, there are teams out there who want quarterbacks. Alabama's Bryce Young. Ohio State, C.J. Stroud, Kentucky's Will Levis are like the top three guys, generally speaking. The, the, the most the simplest one, the Colt, the, the Bears trade with the Colts, who hold the fourth pick. Colts get a quarterback, and the Bears would still be in position to get either Jalen Carter or Alabama defensive end Will, Le, uh, Will Anderson. The Texans picking at two would likely take a quarterback and... Arizona at three would either take one of the defensive linemen or possibly trade out. Either way, the Bears were basically guaranteed to get one of those linemen. Well, now, if Carter is out, now that may not be the case. So why am I bringing up the Chicago Bears? Well, because I do think 
it has been long mentioned that the Bears are looking for defensive linemen, and they have been constantly rumored to be interested in Jerron Payne. I, as we know, Washington. Oh, actually, we didn't. Wait, I don't even remember if we discussed that on the last. Yeah, I think we did on the last episode that Jerron Payne, and you know, sort of in the middle of the night, uh, the other day, uh, or I guess it was on Tuesday, they placed a franchise tag on Payne, and I would say at this point, the likely scenario that I see is that Washington. That Jerron Payne plays on the tag for Washington this year. I don't think Washington has, again, as we've discussed, it does not feel at all that Dan Snyder is going to be open to putting a lot of that guaranteed money in escrow that you would need to do based on league rules in the current situation he's in. That ESPN report really laid out that Dan Snyder, uh, his, his, his cash flow is not really uh, there right now. So I also laid out a 10-point plan for the Commanders this weekend, which I said, for me, I think I would trade Payne. Now, I'm not obviously, it would be great to keep him, and there's other things that they could do, but if you can get, you know, if you can maximize it out, get some good picks out of that, or some other pieces, perhaps, you still have a really a lot on the defensive line. But anyway, I don't, this is just my hypothetical speculation, but... Washington did have interest in Justin Fields coming out. Is there a world where a a Deron Payne-Justin Fields trade happens? Uh, You know, maybe Washington has to give up more because it's a quarterback. But, you know, I I think Fields is a pretty raw prospect. I'm not the biggest Fields fan. And anyway, that's where my head went after, again, you know, not minimizing at all the tragedy that occurred to put Jalen Carter in his position. But I do think it's interesting. It's eventually the draft is going to happen. And what happens there, again, this is more speculation than anything else. I'm not even sure why I got into it right now other than I just, you know, it's it's fun to, to speculate again about the silliness of the draft does not trump the real world tragedy. Let's get to a couple other things, though. Um, I would say this, you know, everybody knows who everybody in my company who knows, obviously, I cover the commanders, people around the league, reporters or others who have met me over time know I cover the commanders. This was, I felt, far more th- more than ever a time in which people said to me, wow, you cover the Commanders because of all the news that was happening this week. Even seeing some people, you know, from the team, you know, kind of like looked, everybody kind of looked at each other like, wow, you know, there's a lot going on here uh, for sure. But the second question I kept getting the most, it be, oh, so the number one question was, is he going to sell, meaning Snyder? The second question was, is Sam Howell going to start? This came up a ton throughout the week. And I'm talking about other media people, agents, some people with other teams. I think it's because it's just so weird and random to a degree that this is happening. And, and you know, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I, I'm pretty convinced that the reason why the Sam Howell will enter the offseason as QB1. Again, this is the story that he, he nobody has ever said, Ron Rivera on down, that Hal is definitely the week one starter. It's that he's going to be the starter, or the QB1, I should say, in the offseason program, and then see what happens. They're going to add a veteran. By the way, Rivera made that a little bit clearer as well. I mean, again, you already knew I was saying that, but to those who were still talking about making a veteran trade, um, and by the way, I know I just said Justin Fields, but that feels different because that would be able to take a big swing um, for, for a young guy. In any event, uh, 
how is it possible that Sam Howell could start based on one start? Now, there are some people who I spoke to who were, who were high on Howell. Uh, Andy Staples, who we'll talk to in a minute, is high, was, was high on Sam Howell coming out. But I think there was a, still a lot of people around the league were just like, wait, is this for real? How is this going to happen? Um, and especially because it doesn't seem to align with the reality that Ron Rivera is facing a lot of uncertainty because of the ownership, the fact that he hasn't had a winning record in three years, all these things. So, I, I, you know, at this point, I think it's another example of where it does not look like Washington will spend money in free agency. Um, JP and I talked about this the other day. I don't know if we talked about it on the radio, uh, on the podcast, but sort of the idea of how many players will Washington get uh, signed this year to contracts of $10 million or more dollars annually. And I kind of, I think, landed on Deron Payne, and that might be it. Now, maybe they signed somebody else to a one-year deal for good money. But other than that, I would, and I'm not even saying that will happen, I, I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, as as Ron Rivera said, uh, you know, fair deals. That was one of his quotes. And, and that, to me, screams not going to, to spend big. And Sam Howell doesn't make a lot of money. Um, right now, again, this will be a, an ongoing situation. But right now, I think... If I had to bet, the, the the quarterback competition would be Sam Howell versus somebody from the tier of Gardner Minshew, Teddy Bridgewater, yes, Taylor Heineke, but I don't think Heineke, I just don't see that Rivera sees Heineke as a competition to start. So that would be, that wouldn't work if that's truly what's being said. Um, I think, again, I, I, I really do like Howell. I do think he gives them a shot to have a lot of potential and some uh, normalcy to a degree with running an offense compared to the more chaotic situations you had with Wentz and Heineke. But there were a lot of people in the league who really just couldn't, could not completely under grasp that this is where Washington is going. Hardly the most confusing situation involving this team and franchise, but nonetheless one that was a big talk of the week. Um, and again, part of this also is, that the top four quarterbacks, including Anthony Richardson from Florida, it's unlikely any of them will be there. And how, you know, he is going into his second year. He, he basically redshirted as a rookie, except for the one start. Martin Mayhew thinks he's probably, he learned a lot during that time. So um, that should help Hal. But, uh, but yeah, the, the Sam Howe was probably the number one topic involving Washington that was not a Dan Snyder uh, situation. All right, then we have... The NFLPA put out a survey um, from their uh, – the, the, they, they polled their players, asking their players a bunch of different topics regarding the their own team. Things along the lines of the facilities and the training staff and supplements and food offerings and all these types of, of things that are important but not, you know – things that we don't always talk about on this kind of podcast in general. And if you haven't heard by now of the 32 teams, Washington's overall grade came in last, not just a bad grade. Like just to be clear, they didn't come in last cause they got a, a C they came in last with an F minus an F minus. Um, they, the best grade they had strength and conditioning coaches an a, the weight room is a C plus. Athletic training staff, D. Nutritional offerings, D+. Plus. 
Treatment of families, F. Athletic training room, F minus. Locker room, F minus. Travel operations, F minus. Uh, you know, that's not great, Bob. That's not great. Here's what I would say to this, and I, I, I talked to different people, you know, with the team and just others about this as well. Um, first of all, anything to do with the facility, meaning the, well, Ashburn, but also, you know, th- none of this is about FedEx Field. I don't believe they're talking about, they're just talking about the team main headquarters. Look, we all know the deal here, right? Whenever they build a new stadium, they will also build a new facility. And you would imagine it's going to be brand new, have all modern amenities and all that. Until they build a stadium, though, and get this whole situation going, none of this is going to change. There has been various upgrades done, improvements. Uh, you know, they, they have put some money in it. If you, you recall, a couple years ago, uh, I wrote about how they up. You know, they, they they put an all new grass both at FedEx Field and on the practice fields. Like they have done some things like that. They've made other changes within the building as well. But until they br- they build an entire new complex, they, it's going to be an outdated deal. That's just the way that it is. The other stuff. The nutritional offerings, treatment of fans, um, I, the, the travel operations. I <laughs> Obviously, I can't compare it to other teams because I just don't know. I, I, I get a sense that like some of this seems like it doesn't make sense to, to, to a lot of people over there. And you might think, well, of course, they're sort of just going to downplay this. But I had multiple people, like in terms of, say, the nutritional offerings, swear to me up and down that like the food that they have that they have provided there for the players coaches and staff is top notch um you know all various options they're not giving them you know fast food they're giving him you know really legit food you would get at restaurants and um you know they the, the, the travel operations apparently according to the survey washington is one of the a handful of teams that does not have first class seating for players. I, I, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Sure, if you've ever sat in first class, it's a, it's a good deal. But I don't know if that, if that was the issue. Uh, treatment of families. I think by that they're talking about on like a game day situation. Uh, somebody was explaining to me that like a, a lot of times the families will get together. I don't know if it's in at the park, but somewhere in Ashburn or that type of area, take a bus down together. Any, any of us know that, you know, it's a, uh, you know, traffic stinks. Um, and, and that may be part of it. In any event, I I don't know what to make of all this. Again, I, I kind of dismissed the facility aspect of this because that's going to just have to wait until there's a new owner and a new stadium and all that. But the rest of it, look, I it the vote is what the vote is. So it's obviously not great. But I think there was a lot of people surprised that this is where Washington finished. Again, somebody's going to have to come in last. But to the degree that the the, the pylon seemed to take place, um, you know, not great. But also, this was like the rare time that we've seen the players talk about Dan Snyder. I mean, there's no quotes in here from players. um, But like it says, for example, in an overview, it said, the locker room does not have confidence that club owner Dan Snyder is willing to invest 
to upgrade the facilities as players' responses rank him 31st in this category. Uh, that's probably true. I mean, he has not done much over the years. He's had this team since 1999, and these facilities are definitely outdated. Um, but, I mean, you know, I, I again, I think we all kind of understand they've got to build a stadium, and then it all comes to it. So it may be a fair point to say right now, but it's not like, this is it. They're going to, you know, whoever the owner is, eventually they will have new, um, new, new stuff. So that obviously was yet another story involving this team that just made way too many, uh, headlines for all the wrong, uh, all the wrong reasons. Um, lastly, before we get to Andy Staples, so player interviews started player interviews with the media started on Wednesday and because they're going with the defense, you know, I, I'll be honest, the defensive lineman did not seem to be a big priority for me because I think Washington's pretty good there. This is not particularly a great linebacker class, so I didn't focus too much there either. And I can't imagine that Washington would spend a high pick on a linebacker uh, at this point. But the cornerbacks, that's a different deal. And we're a, the cornerbacks talk today, guys like Oregon's uh, Christian Gonzalez, Penn State's Joey Porter Jr., those two, along with Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, uh, were, are right now projected to be like the top three corners in this draft class. Others like Cam Smith from South Carolina, uh, Keely Ringo from Georgia uh, could break through there as well. Uh, you know, it's a pretty deep corner group. And I do think, I think when the first mock drafts came out, I was a little skeptical seeing Washington at taking a corner that high. But, but I, I really do, the more I think about it, I think it, it actually does make sense, both in terms of where the board is, but also in terms of the team needs. We know they need to get offensive line. There's no questioning that. They just may not be in the position, depending on what their board is, to get someone that makes a lot of sense at 16. It's possible, uh, but the, the best three tackles may be gone by then. The cornerbacks, though, could be there. But whether it's the first or second round, they're going to have to get both of those positions. And I could see what the first four picks, you know, a couple of offensive linemen, a cornerback, and then, you know, maybe a best player available situation with the other pick uh, for how this thing could go. So we'll talk more about the prospects in general, and especially once we get past this week uh, when we'll have seen everybody out there on the field, anyone who's going to participate doing what they're doing their thing out there. All right, um, enough out of me on that. Uh, let's get to my conversation, as I said, with Andy Stables. He does such a great job covering college football, does it for the athletic. Uh, he's got thoughts on the prospects and Sam Howell. So let's get to it, my conversation with Andy Staples here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, uh, as promised, joining me here from, uh, what do we call this, Radio Row at uh, the, the uh, Scouting Combine. It's not so much a row as a grid. <laughs> That's like a radio cubicle farm. It's, it, that, that is fair. It's interesting to uh, group here and an interesting person to talk to right now about all this. Andy Staples, one of our uh, college football uh, 
What are you, insider, national reporter? What's the preferred? I just uh, say college football reporter. I, everybody's got these these fancy title, almost senior, junior, executive writer, or I'm an insider. I don't, I don't know. I just write. I write stories. I do podcasts. That's what I do. Fair, fair enough. But you do it well, and you you know all about uh, these teams. And um, you know, I obviously want to get your your thoughts on on, on some Washington situation. Um, we are talking on Thursday. Ooh, ooh, are you going to talk about Sam Howell? Oh, I do. I love Sam Howell. Oh, let's go. Well, well, let's go because obviously that's when people are not asking me about the Dan Snyder of it all. The question I keep yeah. getting is, really, they're going to go with Sam Howell? Uh, you, you saw him play at Carolina. What, what's your uh, what's your view of the, I think, that? I think Sam is very tough. He's a smart quarterback. It's, it, stuff doesn't bother him much. You know, from a skill set perspective, Compared to some of the other quarterbacks in the NFL, no, he's not the same ceiling as them. But can he be a a, a reliable quality starter in the NFL? I think it's possible. You know, Sam was getting massive buzz going into his final year in college, right. and then that offense wasn't very good. The line wasn't very good. Um, I think he realized how much those backs had done that that previous year. Sam had to be kind of the the best running threat on the team which was not he, he's pretty good at it but it's not what you what you want out of somebody who's supposed to be throwing you know for a billion yards <laughs> right what what um you know it was interesting last year obviously and I think Ron Rivera that's the line he uses a lot to go back and look at what what he did as his sophomore and then see how much they lost going to the last year um but last year in the draft because Kenny Pickett didn't go until the 20th pick it felt like the every quarterback from there fell Right, precipitously. I mean, obviously, if teams thought they were better, they would draft them higher. But it's it's that's what, it's an odd position in that way because yeah. obviously you're only starting one guy at a time. Do you, like if if a normal year, like let's say Sam Howell was in this year's class to some degree, and these quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three, or yeah, one, two, yeah. three, four, nine, whatever. Does that like ha- does that change the view of a guy like Howell if he all of a sudden goes in the third round because everything gets pushed up? No, he's probably a second or third rounder anyway. I mean, that's uh, it, it, coming off even a good year. With these guys, because these guys physically, well, Bryce Young production-wise, C.J. Stroud production-wise, and then Levis and Richardson physically being so much, you know, in in terms of skill set, better. Um, I think they they were still they would still go significantly ahead of him. So, uh, but but the Commanders are in a weird spot because I don't think any of those four that we just mentioned are going to be available right. at sixteen. Do you really want to trade up? And especially when there are two quarterbacks in next year's draft who I think GMs and, and coaches may find to be better than anybody in this year's draft. I don't well, it's hard because they're like the ceiling on Richardson is so high, but his floor is pretty low too. Caleb Williams is going to be Trevor Lawrence levels of hype. Right. Andrew Luck levels of hype. And Caleb Williams is from D.C. Is from D.C., exactly right. And then Drake May at North Carolina is going to be right behind that. Drake May is going to be one of those guys that if it were another year, he'd probably be getting that kind of buzz. But Caleb's going to get all that buzz. And so that's the part where, you know, if you can bridge to next season and and feel okay with it, then then that's what you do. Like, when you're in this position, if – if you've got a, a pick in the top five, then yeah, you're probably going to pick a quarterback this year. But that's not where they're at, right? And I think there's a lot of re- that's probably one of the reasons they're 
really kind of pushing the Sam Howell agenda. Plus, I don't think they'll spend much in free agency um, and all that. But I do wonder if they would still draft a quarterback somewhere. And I'm curious. I don't know much about uh, what's the kid from Stanford, Tanner McKee. Tanner McKee. So he, just- he looks, you know, 6'6", 235 pounds, mm-hmm. big arm. But eh, production was okay. A lot of it is, you know, what talent was around him. How good was the line? David Shaw ended up retiring after the after this season. They were not good at Stanford. And McKee had flashes. There were games where where you thought, okay, this 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 might work. Like his um, the Oregon game in twenty twenty one, he looked pretty good. But it it was more of oh, they're gonna love him because he's the prototypical size and and arm. So I don't know. Hendon Hooker is the one I'm interested in because. That offense at Tennessee is not similar to anything you run in the pros. There's a learning curve there. But Hennon is a very smart guy, and I do think he can learn. But the problem is you're not going to take him to play right now. And he's also coming off torn ACL, suffered in the South Carolina game, which was very late in the season, I think next to the last regular season game. So that's that's the problem is there's not really one of those guys where you're just looking at it like okay and and then I you know who's the Brock Purdy of this draft and if there even is one I'd say Jake Hayner at Fresno State is probably the most likely candidate for that where he could come in and play because he's played for Jeff Tedford and that offense is you know proven that Aaron Rodgers played that offense at Cal right. obviously it's evolved since then but but Tedford spent time in the NFL before going back to college at Fresno State and so that offense is is pretty good at preparing quarterbacks to play right away and understand the mechanics of how to call a play, run a play, uh, run run a huddle, that sort of thing. So Hayner's the one, I would say, if you're going to go fourth, fifth, sixth round with a quarterback, take him. Because if you need to play somebody else, he's probably going to be ready. And the guy's a dog. Like, all, just go watch the last five minutes of the Fresno State UCLA game in 2021, and you will fall in love with this guy. <laughs> okay. He's a, you'll also you'll like Dorian Thompson Robinson too, the quarterback at UCLA, who's also in this draft. That's another good one to to put in your back pocket for for later in the draft. But Hayner's the one I'd say if if you're going to take somebody who you, you think maybe I might have to play this guy, he could be that Brock Purdy type where he comes in ready to play and and can run your offense confidently. Um, let me ask you about the always uh, sexy position of offensive line. Oh, love offensive line. Um, We're talking about the Hogs here. Come on. Oh, no. Look, I, there's, a, there's a strong appreciation for that position with with the fan base that I deal with. Uh, absolutely. That said, uh, at least I like to talk about tackles, but I wanted to ask you about interior linemen in part because that Washington, I think that's their biggest well, weakness. Well, they're right in the sweet spot for Osiris Torrance for my alma mater. So that's what I was just going to ask you. I, today I, I, I reported that I have a formal meeting with him, which, you know, not that big of a deal yeah. to help a ton. But I talked to him at the senior bowl, and he really seemed – I think Dane said that he might be – Dane Brugar, NFL draft uh, uh, analyst, that he might have been the best player there. So tell me what about him. I know he transferred uh, yeah, he, to Florida. He, so he w- he started at Louisiana Lafayette, which is where current Florida coach Billy Napier had been coaching. So when Billy got the Florida job, Osiris was one of a couple players who wound up following him to Gainesville. And Osiris is – he's the best offensive lineman to come through Florida in quite a while. And – just he, he's a he's a mauler, but he's he's light on his feet, fairly athletic, huge hands. It's a, he's one of those get if he gets his hands on you, you're done kind of situations. And I think the 
from what Dane has said, that pass pro is is maybe the the weaker part of his game. He's he's a very good run blocker, but you're not that worried about the pass pro either. Right. And he he looks like he's a guy you can plug in, start right away, and, and be an NFL starter for quite a long time. So that's a and and that seems to be kind of the range in the draft, you know, mid teens. Where he he looks like he'd be able because you're going to take tackles first, you know the tackles are going to go off the board before the guards. But if you really like a guard, why not solidify a position? If you think you can solidify a position for eight nine years, then do it. Right. Uh, it feels like based on just looking at the mock drafts that there's three tackles. They're probably going to go uh, somewhere early. The Paris Johnson from Ohio mm-hmm. State, uh, the kid from Georgia, um, uh, Rod- Roderick. Yeah, and and then. Skronsky is is the other one from Northwestern, yeah. And so it's hard to tell if the Nittigals will be there at 16. Then from there, Washington needs cornerbacks. But if they do want to go O-line, it feels like Mm -hmm. Torrance could be that type of guy. He could always trade down, of course, but that's what's going to be interesting. Yeah, he's probably going to go somewhere in there. So I don't even, like, I don't know if that's a trade-down situation. That's a, a, he might be a best best on the board kind of situation at that point. Obviously, the SEC has dominant defensive linemen all over the place. Do you recall any particular game with him, I don't know if it was against Georgia or someone else, where you're like, hey, he kind of held his own or maybe really? He held his own against Georgia. The problem was, it's hard to tell because the rest of the team is just getting mauled (laughs) by Georgia. So, but no, and he looked good against LSU, and he 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 just he was solid all the way through. There's not really a there's not a bad tape game. They're all good. So, and that's why everybody's so high on him. That's why they're talking about him being a, a mid-teens type pick as a guard. Yeah, um, uh, I mentioned cornerback. That they just talked a bunch of those guys just talked a few minutes ago. Joey Porter Jr., mm-hmm. uh, Christian Gonzalez. Uh, we didn't get Devin Weatherspoon. I'm not sure if he had uh, was dealing with some med- uh, right. medical reports yeah. where we're running slow or what or what have you. Uh, like I said, it feels like if tackles are gone, that becomes the next group. But there looks like a lot of the guys who could be there even into day two. What do you think of of that group? And how do you, is it hard? Or is it getting harder or easier to to, to get gauge corners? going to the NFL, considering the NFL's offenses are now kind of becoming more like the college offenses. It's hard for me, and it's 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 actually harder for me to gauge safeties. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the top 10 safety prospects this year, if you look at their weights, you would go, these are corners. These aren't safeties. Right. But that's how the game has changed. I, like, I remember covering the 2013 Alabama-Texas A&M game, and Mike Evans is just torching Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson's a young corner at Alabama at that point. And Mike Evans is destroying him. And it turned out that Eddie Jackson, not the greatest cornerback in the world, but a fantastic safety. And as Nick Saban was sort of playing with his defensive personnel, because he was evolving with the offenses. His, he was evolving his defense with the offenses. He was, he was going lighter up front. He, he, you know, the Dante Hightower, 260-pound middle linebacker, he was, he was trading those guys out for 235-pound guys. And then what he did in the secondary is by 2015, everybody who started in Alabama's secondary, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying you start in a nickel because they all play you know, against these spread offenses. They all were recruited as corners. Everybody who starts at Alabama now in the secondary or start, starts for a lot of these teams in the secondary would have been recruited as a corner. So it's, it's like it, it makes it harder to tell who's that true corner, who's a nickel corner, you know, and, and who are you moving around? So Christian Gonzalez, clearly corner, put him on an island, 
cover somebody. Right. He will be long gone by the time the commander's pick. Uh, Weatherspoon is is a really good one. That'll be a fun one and, and, and a possibility, you know, depending on, on what everybody needs around him. But it is a somewhat deep class. Like, one guy I really liked watching, and he's smaller, so he's not going to go as high in the draft. This is, this is you know, potential uh, third-round type guy, maybe second-round type guy, right. uh, is Travis Hodges, Hodges Tomlinson from TCU. Uh, nephew of LaDainian Tomlinson, I believe, but lightning fast and loves to, to get up in people's faces and is not afraid of anybody, even though he's 5'9". I, I love watching him play. Again, he's small. He's not, he's not a perfect prospect, but I think he's a prospect who is going to wind up making a team very happy. Uh, Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State, right. he is small. I mean, well, he's, he's tall. He's six feet tall, but he is, he is slender. And I, I think they list him at 180. I'd be very interested to see what he weighs in here. But he's, a, he's got good ball skills. He's a, he's a pick six type guy. So he's another one, that, and, and he's played against some really good receivers in his time in the SEC. So he's another one that I'd, I'd look at there, you know, maybe second-round type pick. Um, last thing, let me, let me go back to Sam Howell. They just – Washington just signed or just added to the coaching staff uh, Tavita Pritchard, who was oh, the yeah, OC. from Stanford. With Stanford, and that's what I was asking you about, the, the quarterback coming out. The, you know, he had McKee to, to help develop. He had Davis Mills uh, right before that. I you know, I don't know how much you've studied Stanford's offense or tape, but like to that again, if if he's going to be the guy, perhaps primarily responsible with helping what Sam Howell develop, yeah. how do you kind of see what do you take from that Stanford team and that offense to how maybe he can help? Uh, well, I help? mean, the Stanford offense will look a lot more like what old NFL offenses look like. They, right. you know, they they they'll go heavy and and there's a lot of motions, very different than what Sam ran at North Carolina. Right. But you saw Sam at the end of the last season running the offense fairly comfortably. So yeah. I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, I think the, the idea of jumping from Phil, what, what he ran under Phil Longo in North Carolina, and Phil is now the offense coordinator at Wisconsin, but I don't think there there's a worry about that because he's been in an NFL system for a year. You've seen him start a regular season game, and I, I realize it was the last one, but you've seen this. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Nothing should come as a shock to him. Nothing should be that hard to deal with. And again, Sam is a very smart guy who can handle mentally what what he needs to handle. So I I don't really worry about that that much. But Pritchard, what he is teaching, you know, the rest of these players, they these are concepts they'll all be familiar with. You know, right. and and the quarterbacks they bring in, like if he were to bring in McKee, that would be great because he would. They'd be speaking the same language. <laughs> right. But McKee's going to come in wherever he goes. It's not going to be you have to go back to elementary school and teach him how to set protections and that sort of thing. He's going to know how to do that because he did it at Stanford. Right. That, that was part of that offense. And that's the trickiest part when you're drafting a quarterback is what were they asked to do? You know, were they reading the whole field? Were they reading half the field? Do they set protections before the, the snap? Do they, you know, what are the responsibilities pre-snap? And it is a wide range <laughs> But, you know, like McKee had to do everything. Um, Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming had to do everything. Uh, Purdy last year coming out of Iowa State had to do just about everything. And I think those guys are, are usually a little bit faster. Like Will Levis this year, he he ran Liam Cohen's offense at Kentucky in 2021, and then Rich Scangarello came for the 49ers last year. So he's been running an offense that is very in vogue in the league. Right. My guess is you put him in a mini camp 
he's going to feel pretty comfortable. Like Anthony Richardson, I don't know is going to feel that comfortable. Hendon Hooker right now, I don't know is going to feel that comfortable because it's not what they've been doing. Andy, you do a lot. I appreciate the time. Uh, you have your your list of things you do is way too long. Tell everybody where they can find you uh, out there in the world. Well, and, and you mean you're listening to this, so you obviously read the Athletic. So I write there, and we have the Andy Staples Show podcast, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts. And also, Dane Brugler and I do the Prospects to Pros podcast on the Athletic Football Show feed. Which, if you're not subscribed to that, I mean, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Yeah, no, that's obviously you guys are, are must listen at this time of the year in particular. Uh, appreciate it, my guy. Have, have a good rest of the t- time here, and uh, we'll go from there. My pleasure. All right. Uh, many thanks to Andy Staples for his time. Thanks to everyone for checking out the podcast. Um, we'll have plenty of more coverage coming up about uh, what's going, what went on in Indianapolis for the Combine. Where else? Where's the next steps here in the Dan Snyder saga and you know free agency starts in about uh two weeks so we've got to start diving into that as well um but that is it for now here on the standard group only podcast until next time 